Hi guys, this is Fiona from IELTS Exam Training Courses and Members Academy. Today I'm going to finish off the one we started about museums of fine art and their public. As I mentioned before, it was a difficult and complex, complex passage three. Um, and that's why I broke it up into two sections. But also the reading itself is almost broken up into two sections and that is reflected in the questions. So the first set of questions we looked at were gap fill and they related to the first half of the reading, which talked about the background about why we go to museums to look at paintings. The second half takes a slightly different tone. It becomes more negative and quite critical of museums. And it actually starts <coughs> straight where we left off, where there's a kind of negatively uh, negative word which says, unfortunately, uh, this seems to place severe limitations on the kind of experience offered to visitors. So that was where we finished last time. And it's just a three line, even hardly a paragraph, but it breaks up the first half and the second half. So the second half has four multiple choice questions. And an easy way of finding the first question is to use the capital letters. It says the writer mentions London's National Gallery to illustrate and then you have to find out why the writer mentioned London's National Gallery. So, of course, the first thing you do is find the National Gallery. That's quite easy to find because of the capital letters. But then you need to go back and look at the context. So why did the writer use National Gallery as an example? Well, he said um, that Museums call themselves treasure houses. And before we even get there to see the painting, we, we are very aware of this because of all the security guards, the ropes, the display cases that keep us away from the exhibits. Then the writer says, in many cases, the architectural style of the building reinforces that notion. So the style of the actual building um, makes us think, my goodness, I'm in a treasure house. And it says a major collection like that of London's National Gallery is housed in numerous rooms, each with dozens of works, any one of which is likely to be worth more than all the average visitor possesses. So this idea of how grand it is and how do we feel about that? Well, the writer says, in a society that judges the personal status of the individual so much by their material worth, it is difficult not to be impressed by one's own relative worthlessness in such an environment. So this is why he mentioned the National Gallery, but you really have to break it down. You have to get to the point where he explains why he mentioned it. And the, the, the answer is in that line. It's that the individual is 
it says impressed, but it means, you know, that we feel how worthless we are in such a grand environment. Um, so the language is complex and academic. It, let me repeat again. It is difficult not to be impressed by ones, meaning our own relative worthlessness, meaning relative to the building, we feel completely worthless because we don't own well, you know, one painting is worth more than anything we own. So that is the point that he's trying to make. Now, if you look at the multiple choices, I'm going to give you the answer so it stays close in your mind. The answer is the writer wants to illustrate the negative effect a museum can have on visitors' opinion of themselves. So that is the answer, the negative effect. It makes us feel worthless. Um, so that is our opinion of ourselves. Um, yeah, you had to really dig deep to find that and you had to have a very high level of sophisticated vocabulary. It's not really guessable and I don't think it would help if I read out the other options to you. In question 33... The writer says that today viewers may be unwilling to criticise a work because. So again, we're looking for the writer's opinion, kind of reading between the lines. Why are we reluctant or unwilling to criticise a work of art? So he says... Um, Consideration of the value of the original work in its treasure house impresses upon the viewer that, since these works were originally produced, they have a huge monetary value and this has been given to them by some person or institution more powerful than themselves. So, nothing the viewer thinks about the work is going to alter that value. So, today's viewer is deterred from trying to extend that spontaneous, immediate kind of reading which would originally have met the work. Oh my goodness, so there is the answer. First of all, let's break it down. It says that, OK, the viewer realises that because these works are originals, they have been given this huge monetary value. You know, they're worth a lot of money because somebody has decided how valuable they are. And that person who decided that is much more powerful than we are. Therefore, nothing that we say is going to change that value. So... The writer argues that the viewer is deterred, I mean, prevented or discouraged from trying to give their own opinion because who cares about their own opinion? Somebody has already decided for them that this work of art, because it is original, is worth a lot of money. So nobody cares what we think. So we're looking for that kind of answer and let's see. It says the writer says today, uh, the writer says that today 
viewers may be unwilling to criticise a work because? The answer is D. They feel their personal reaction is of no significance. Again, you had to dig deep and understand deeply to get that answer, I think. I had to really look and underline and look again. Question 34, again, according to the writer. So again, it's reading between the lines of what the writer is trying to say. According to the writer, the displacement effect on the visitor is caused by... So this displacement effect is in inverted commas, which means it's easy to find, but it's in the next paragraph following the one that we just did. So we look for this inverted commas displacement effect and we try to find what this is caused by, what causes this displacement effect. So the writer says the visitor may then be struck by the strangeness of seeing such diverse paintings, drawings and sculptures brought together in an environment for which they were not originally created. This displacement effect is heightened by the sheer volume of exhibits. So this displacement effect refers to the previous sentence, which is the strangeness, how we feel it's strange to find all these diverse paintings, this mixture of paintings, drawings and sculptures all together in one place for which they were not originally created. So they were originally created maybe for one painting in your living room, but they've taken them all and put them all together. So this is the displacement effect and it is caused by, the answer is A, the variety of works on display and the way they are arranged. Nothing too difficult here, but the variety of works is the synonym for diverse paintings, drawings and sculptures. And the way they are arranged is that they are brought together under one roof in this one environment for which they were not originally created. So that is the displacement effect. Finally, question 35. The writer says that unlike other forms of art, a painting does not... Well, you could probably guess this, but it's better to see what the writer says first. So the writer says, A fundamental difference between paintings and other art forms is that there is no prescribed time over which a painting is viewed. By contrast, the audience encounters an opera or a play over a specific time, which is the duration of the performance. So basically, everything else has a start and an end, like a play or an opera or a novel, but there is no prescribed time over which a painting is viewed. Nobody tells you you must look at this for five minutes. 
And this is what the writer says is fundamentally different. And the answer, therefore, is D. A painting does not have a specific beginning or end. Let's move on now to the final set of questions, which are yes, no and not given. This is question 36 to 40. So there are five questions and they start exactly where I finished the last set of questions. So there are two last paragraphs and the two last paragraphs start with consequently. And that leads us into the last five questions. So, first of all, 36 says art history should focus on discovering the meaning of art using a range of media. This, I'm just going to say, is not given, um, so we don't spend too much time on it. But basically, this idea of an opinion of what art history should focus on is not mentioned at all. There's no... Um, although, although the writer is criticising museums, it doesn't suggest what he thinks art history should focus on. So it's not there. So let's go to 37, where we can find concrete um, synonyms in the text. It says, the approach of art historians conflicts with that of art museums. So the key word there is conflicts because it says that art historians have a different approach to art museums. Well, um, if we look at that paragraph that starts consequently, it says the dominant critical approach. So this is where we know the information is. The dominant critical approach becomes that of the art historian, a specialised academic approach devoted to discovering the meaning of art within the cultural context of its time. This is in perfect harmony with the museum's function. So that is our answer. It says that the art is, his, even if you don't understand what on earth they're talking about, it says that the dominant critical approach is that of the art historian, which is a specialised academic approach. And this is in perfect harmony with the museum's function, since the approach is dedicated to seeking out and conserving authentic original readings of the exhibits. Again, a lot of vocabulary there, but you don't need to worry about that too much. Focus on this is in perfect harmony, which says that the museum and the art historian both have the same approach, which means 37 is false. It does not conflict. It, it, it is in harmony. So the opposite of harmony is conflict. Question 38. People should be encouraged to give their opinions openly on works of art. Tricky one here. Um, the answer is true. I'm just going to say that and read and tell you why. 
um, it says this seems to put paid to um, no sorry no I'm skipping forward let's skip forward to the final paragraph and it says the displays of art museums serve as a warning of what critical practices can emerge when spontaneous criticism is suppressed. The museum public experience art more rewardingly when given the confidence to express their views. So this is the writer's opinion. And the writer does think people should be encouraged to give their opinions. And that comes out in the first sentence where it says what happens when criticism is suppressed, meaning, you know, when you can't say what you want. And then the the opinion comes in the museum public experience art, experience art more rewardingly. So they get more reward when they have the confidence to express their views. So 38 is true. 39 is not given, but let me read it to you. It says reproductions of fine art should only be sold to the public if they are of high quality. So there's another should here. So we're looking for information that the writer thinks reproduction should be high quality. Um, they do mention reproductions. They say if appropriate works of fine art could be rendered permanently accessible to the public by means of high fidelity reproductions, as literature and music already are, the public may feel less in awe of them. That's it. It does not mention that anything about being sold to the public. It just mentions that if um, these reproductions were of a very high quality, then the public might feel, yeah, less in awe of them. They wouldn't feel so stressed about them. And finally, question 40. In the future, those with power are likely to encourage more people to enjoy art. Let me read the sentence for you. Unfortunately, that may be too much to ask from those who seek to maintain and control the art establishment. So we've got a very negative sentence, final sentence in the text. Unfortunately, that may be too much to ask. So that meaning, um, you know, making uh, art more available to the general public. But it's too much to ask from those who seek to maintain and control. Those are the people with power. So if we go back to the statement in the future, those with power are likely to encourage more people to enjoy art. No, they are unlikely to encourage people to enjoy art. This may be too much to ask from them because remember they want to keep their art special. They want to keep it in a treasure house so people have to pay to, to see it. They don't want reproductions, high quality reproductions um, because then people won't come to their museum to see it. I guess that's the argument of the writer. 
Okay, this has been, I think, a difficult, a very difficult example of a passage three, even by passage three's standards. However, it follows what I always talk about, this structure, the questions being based exactly on the different parts of the text. The IELTS test writers are expert text uh, test writers and question writers. Their means of questioning is designed to check understanding and nothing else. It is not designed to see how fast you can read and therefore they mix the questions up. No, any test, if you look at it carefully and it's from a Cambridge test book, is very clearly set out and the questions are very expertly written. I want, I'm saying this because yesterday in the academy, I had a student who said, Fiona, will you have a look at this I found on the internet? It's a, a website which has a lot of online IELTS tests. Um, and when you look at the website, you think the tests look exactly as they should for a real test. And she sent this particular text to me because she said, this doesn't do anything of what you say. Um, it doesn't go in order. Um, it doesn't, this, the the strategies that you teach don't apply to this text and this text has really confused and upset me and made me lose my confidence. So I had to have a look at this text and I first of all found it because very often um, these IELTS texts, if you just Google IELTS reading and then put the title in, I found it on, on several uh, websites actually, but I could not find where it originally came from. I couldn't find anywhere that said this is from test book 13 or test book 12 I, and I had never seen it myself before. So I did start to have um, real doubts about this text and I wondered whether it was actually a, a real test. And I did the test myself, I looked at it closely and noticed like it broke every rule of how you should write, I'm just looking through the papers now, how you should write good test questions. Um, for a start, um, the title of this text is just this question. What is it that draws us to these creatures? Well, immediately you're confused. Which creatures? These creatures? What are these creatures? That's the title of the text. But when I googled a bit further, I noticed that actually they'd missed the whole first sentence. So the whole first sentence is sea monsters are the stuff of legends um, lurking in the depths of the oceans and the corners of our minds. What is it that draws us to these creatures? So first of all, they've taken out the absolutely crucial heading and subheading. Well, that, of course, will confuse you. And then each question is just so badly written. And yes, it does not follow any order in the text. Let me give you an example. The first question is, 
Who wrote a novel about a giant squid? And you read through the text and, okay, there's a few writers. Some of them wrote a poem and then you get to Jules Verne, who wrote a novel. But this is not an IELTS type of question because it doesn't really test your understanding. It just tests uh, if you find a novel about a giant squid was written by Jules Verne, then it's a very simple and oversimplistic answer. And also what rule it breaks is that you can answer this question without reading the text. This is absolutely crucial. It's quite a well-known novel. There's been films about it, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Um, so even if you didn't read the text, you could actually answer this question, which is always the sign of a very bad test writer. Worse than that, when you come to the gap fill, you can see that the gaps have been chosen completely randomly and they do not require understanding. So, for example, it says the real squid appeared to be something and something. In the text, it said the real squid was balletic and mesmeric. I mean, you don't understand those words. You don't need to understand those words. You just copy them. So this does not test your understanding of the text in any way. And then finally, there's a true false not given. And there's actually grammar mistakes here. Um, question four, for example, it says giant squid was caught alive. Well, there's no article. So that tells me immediately that this is a rubbish test. Um, Matthias Klassen is unsure about the possibility of monsters existence. Again, there's no article. It should be the monsters existence or plural. Um, and then question three says previous attempts on filming the squid. It's not on you attempt to film or at filming. So the 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 terrible errors, uh, grammar mistakes and awful questions make me 100% sure that this text is not a Cambridge um, approved. Well, it's not written by Cambridge. And this is why it's confusing, not because IELTS tests are confusing. IELTS tests are not confusing, except, of course, the vocabulary, if you don't know the vocabulary. Um, but I just want to say this just for everybody to be very careful about where you get your texts from. Um, because this has, if, if this student of mine had con continued to read and practice using these awful tests, it would have a negative, terrible negative effect on her reading skills and confidence. Basically, it's not developing her reading skills and it's not developing her IELTS test day strategies. So, as you know, when I use texts, they are always from um, the, the Cambridge books. Um, I've checked them thoroughly. OK, nobody's perfect. There might be the odd spelling mistake from typing, but I've checked and double checked the answers. I, when I do these podcasts, I have to know that the answers make sense. Um, and 
this is what you have to just be aware of when you're doing your training. This is the reason why I opened the Members Academy, because I saw so many people going to the wrong place to look for practice and getting confused and demoralised by basically rubbish that they find on the internet. So I wanted to have an academy, a place where you can guarantee that the readings are what you will find in the text, in the real test. All right. Thank you for listening. If you have got this far, I appreciate it. I am only trying to help, I promise you. That's all for now. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. Bye bye. Bye.